Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Shane Benson. Well, welcome to another episode of Launch University. I am so excited to be with you. This is Shane Benson, and I have with me today Kramer Johnson. Kramer, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely honored. Excited to have you, buddy. We've been talking a little bit about what it would take to get you on the podcast, and I think I gave you a free cup of water. Yes, I'm, so I'm all in. Thank you for being, thank you for being here. Um, the reason I wanted to have you uh, in the podcast is because you know, oftentimes we talk about in our launch university kind of community. There's often a gap between where you are and where you want to be as a leader. Um, and all of us are leaders. We're all trying to be difference makers. And and sometimes we can fill those gaps with some of these interviews and we get tips and tricks and life hacks on how do you help, how, how can we help people accomplish things to help them move from where they are today to where they want to be tomorrow. And so you have been extremely influential specifically at Chick-fil-A, but even outside of Chick-fil-A, with your ability to move teams, to create Mm, vision, um, to create energy and excitement, and bottom line, to get a lot of stuff done. Ah, And I think there's a lot of us out there, including myself, so I'm going to take a bunch of notes today that just to find out from you, like, talk to us a little bit about your history first, a little Mm -hmm. bit about you, um, and then we'll dive into things like how do you rally a team? How do you cast the vision? How do you continue to fuel that vision? How do you hold people accountable? And then, literally, how do you just get a lot of stuff done? And I don't know about you, but you either want to, we'll have a bunch of this in the show notes. You're going to want to take some notes as we listen to Kramer kind of talk about some of the things that he's learned from a lot of leaders, but also personal experience on how to get things done and how to help rally teams. So Kramer, I really appreciate you taking some time to, uh, to be with us today. Yeah, thanks. All right. So let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about you, maybe some of the things that you've worked on in the past and we'll, we'll kind of just jump in. Yeah. So, uh, Got a beautiful family at home. My wife Haley and five and three year old girls, uh, Emery and Cam. And um, my career, I started in operations consulting uh, with a big four accounting firm, uh, and then came over to Chick Fil A. I've been at Chick Fil A for a pretty long season, and one of my most significant things uh, within Chick Fil A was I led operations for a large digital product group. Uh, it started as several people. Have you ever heard of the Chick-fil-A One app? Okay, he's, <laughs> he's disguising it a little bit, but that big, awesome device, you know, that the app that uh, you can get free treats and all kinds of goodies with, he was critical in the launch of Chick-fil-A One, for yeah. sure. Special season, special people. It really was. Um, and uh, then I took a small stint in a startup environment, and I worked in operations in a startup environment, learned a lot there. So scaling the Chick-fil-A app, and then going back to a very small team in a startup environment, learned a ton there. Uh, and and now, that was outside of Chick-fil-A, right? It was. Yeah. Um, and now, back with Chick-fil-A uh, and leading agile transformation in an 80-person department here, which is a, a whole new challenge. But through all this, I've skinned my knees a lot. Uh, I've learned a lot. And so uh, I've kind of I've discovered some of my superpowers uh, I think everyone has superpowers. Mm. It, we, it's just a matter of finding them. And um, I love that. Yeah, and and my superpower, I believe, is bringing life to vision. Uh, I've worked for a lot of great visionaries. 
I'm usually not the one who casts the vision. I'm usually the one who rallies the team to bring it to life. Um, and so I kind of think of myself as a, a COO of a team. That team might be just three, four people, but I still love plugging in as who's the person who's going to rally the team to achieve that vision. Well, it's such a good um, you know, reminder that oftentimes – uh, in many of the teams that we're in, we're not the actual one that cast the vision, That's the right. original vision, kind of here's where we're headed and here's where we got to go. But oftentimes we are on teams and we do play the role of chief operating officer. Like, how do we execute on the vision? And you have been really successful at that. And so let's just jump right in right there. I mean, if you, if you think about one of the things, the first things you have to do when you're handed a vision is you've got to rally everybody else around that vision. That's right. And especially if you're not the leader that, that presented it, you've got to figure out your own creative ways to do that. So talk to us a little about maybe give us some examples or some things that you've learned along the way on rallying a vision. Yeah, yeah. I think um, when visions are first put out there, or not for that matter, right, maybe someone's sitting more in that seat where they're looking to bring some vision, um, I think whether we're receiving vision or crafting it, we have to look for the biggest problems. So it's, our, it's kind of our human nature to get into our routine. And even if vision is casted, we, we think small about what we can accomplish to get closer to that vision. And I love thinking about um, kind of running towards problems. What is the problem in your organization or your team that no one wants to touch, that no one wants their name attached to? Mm. Um, and whether that's underneath an existing vision that someone has casted or, or you're creating your own vision, um, what is the, the roll your sleeves up thing that, that nobody else is working on? And if you run at those big problems, it leads to ways to rally a team around that because people start noticing, whoa, this, we're starting to think differently. This well, person, you, in many ways, you have to think differently in order to solve some of these bigger problems. So what I hear you saying is people kind of rally around the fact that we're not tackling the little stuff. No, no, no. We're going after what I hear you say is identify the big problem under that vision. And that is a really good way or a way to rally people because they're now becoming a part of something bigger than just themselves. They've got to pull together to actually solve that problem. Yes, you nailed it. Uh, you, you took it right out of my mouth. Um, we have, we all have a deep desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So, beyond a vision statement, how do we make that real for people? Um, and I always think about how do you help a team get a mantra. So this is kind of one of those hacks that I've learned over time. Um, there are purpose statements, vision statements, mission statements, goals, right? And there's typically a slew of things that a team or an organization's going after. And um, what I've found is what people really rally around is if you're near your team and you listen closely, what is the thing that they keep repeating? There's something that's sticky. And it might be a vision, it might be a mission, it might be a goal. But what's the thing that when you're, when you're around them and you're talking about that big problem, what is a mantra that can come to mm, life? Have you got an example? Yeah, um, you know some of the mantras that I love. Um, boy, we had we had one that was uh, as we were scaling the Chick Fil A app, and we had grown from 
less than 10 people to, you know, 50 or 60 people in the organization very quickly, um, we started saying, have fun and stay scrappy because we started to feel big. And when you get big and you bring on a lot of new people, you, you lose some of that scrappiness. Um, and so have fun and stay scrappy. I, I brought it up on one kind of spur of the moment, uh, kind of a spur of the moment in a, in a 15 minute meeting. I didn't think it was gonna, there was no big rollout, there was no big platform, but people started saying it back to me and they started saying it to each other. And then it eventually got painted on a wall, which was pretty cool. Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. If your statement gets painted on a wall, you, you have arrived. That's, yeah, I that's right. That. I, I felt, I I felt pretty good about it. Um, but I guess that's an example of people pointed at a big problem. We knew that we needed to bring Chick-fil-A into the customer digital age and we had, we had all kinds of statements to support that. But the one that, that the team identified with was have fun and stay scrappy. So building a mantra around one of the bigger problems you're trying to solve is a really good way. It is one method for rallying a team uh, to kind of work together, rallying them around a vision. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, other examples I think about, one that you use a lot, we get to do this, mm. right? Reminding people what a privilege to go after this vision, whatever this vision or this problem is, we get to do this. That's a great one. Oh, I didn't even know I had one. Yeah, Maybe you've they'll got paint a it on a wall one day. You've got know. a Who mantra. Knows? That'd be great. For sure. So talk a little bit about, so yes, you've been handed a vision, you're rallying a team, but there, there is also importance to casting a vision or maybe even fueling that vision. Kind of take us down that path a little bit. How, as a team leader or a team member, do you? what are some tips and tricks to help with that? Yeah, so fueling vision. So let's, let's say that you've identified a, a vision statement or even better, a mantra that people are gravitating towards. Um, taking a step backwards, first, we've got to be going after a big problem. If we're not going after a big problem, then a vision statement or a mantra is not going to stick. We have to go at, after something that is bigger than what we can picture. Uh, we have to get the team kind of buying into that, that this thing is bigger than any of us could imagine. And I truly believe that whatever organization someone works in, that exists, that concept of bigger and something that they hadn't imagined yet. But how might we fuel it? So we've got this vision of this mantra. I am passionate. There's another hack. I am passionate about physical spaces. Mm, every team I work more. with. Yeah, I love it. Every team I work with, I find a way to get them a dedicated space. Um, and I, I would guess if I'm in the shoes of a listener right now, I might be saying, Kramer, there's no way. Either I'm part of a, a big company and they're really tight about that kind of stuff, or I'm part of a small business and we don't have that kind of money. Um, and I am such, I am so passionate about this. I have put teams in empty warehouses and we have run out of food and water. Uh, <laughs> and some air conditioning probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The HVAC wasn't great either. Um, I have, we have my start, when I worked with a startup, we, uh, we squatted in, in an office with a bunch of interns cause that was the place we could find and could make our own. Um, and when you say make your own, describe that for our listeners, because we're actually sitting in a room where you've done that. Yes. And it's funny because it's it's a room that you can reserve, but it doesn't look like you would want to reserve this room because there's so many sticky notes and things written on the wall. It looks like somebody owns this room. Yeah. So you've kind of painted it with 
your team and your style in such a way to where it kind of feels like you own this room a little bit, but speak to that. Like, yeah. So I think it, that's what the team feels, right? Is that ownership. So we're going after this big problem. We've got this vision, even better, a mantra that they identify with. And now we've got this physical space, get that mantra on the wall, get that vision mm. on the wall. Uh, and here we've got everybody's nickname on the wall. We did a, a fun round the horn and learn people's childhood nicknames. They're on the wall now and they get used every now and then. And then I would say, what does your team care about? You know, you gotta get that trust-based leadership and understand what they care about. The room that we're in right now, this team cares about food. That is what they care about. <laughs> so one thing that we have on the whiteboard is our pizza tracker. Uh, I promised this team that if they hit three goals in a row, they, they set goals in two-week increments on this team, and if they, if they hit their goals for three of those increments in a row, that I was throwing a pizza party, kindergarten style. We were going to bring in the pizza and, you know, call off the meetings and just have some fun. So they've been tracking pizza. They did it. And, uh, and now they've, if they do it seven times, apparently we're getting barbecue. They, they wrote that on the board. I didn't. So I'm on the hook to get barbecue next time. I love it. Um, I've had other spaces where, man, we have, we have done all kinds of stuff. Well, I think about this, the the digital space that you mentioned previously about the Chick-fil-A one app. And one of the things that I recall so, um, so vividly was when you walked in that room, there was actually a pole vault in the room and yes. it was our CEO Dan Cathy that said he wanted that was his way of charging the mantra so to speak of pole vaulting the competition yes. and you you yes. put that pole vault up there in a physical space and it built into the mantra it was a reminder that hey we need to be pole vaulting the competition yeah. it's like just a huge reminder and it doesn't have to be as big as a pole vault but what I hear you saying is the connecting of the vision the mantra and the physical space are a way to continue to fuel this vision. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, I'm glad you, you, you connected those dots because I hadn't. But pole vaulting the competition was a mantra for that group. That was not the formal vision statement, right? Yeah. That didn't make it on any documents. But you would hear people say all the time, we're pole vaulting the competition in this space. You'd see laptop stickers of pole vaults. And then we eventually got that pole vault brought in the room. And um, that's, a, that's a great example. We've had neon signs. Um, I have a good friend who also kind of ascribes to this thinking. He built a tiki bar. Uh, <laughs> so they had like a bamboo tiki bar in some room because that's what the team cared about. Uh, I'm supporting another team right now. They love movies. And so we set two-week increments um, called sprints, and we might talk about that later. But we work in sprints, and we name each sprint after a movie. So now we've got movie posters for all of our sprints in the space. There's like a dozen movie posters um, they're having to get smaller now because we're, we're running out of space. <laughs> but how do you make it the team's own? You know, yeah. How do you make it their second home? So what advice would you give to somebody, one of our listeners out there that's you know, working in an organization and they want to try and uh, you know, create that physical space? What, what advice or tips would you give them to do that? Um, I'd say if you're in a small organization, think get scrappy, right? Think about who do you know um, who you might be able to to hack this with. Um, my wife Haley's a photographer. She has one employee. She subleases a desk at a co-working space. Hmm. So she subleases a dedicated desk at a co-working space. I don't think you can get any scrappier than that. That's pretty scrappy. Um, so she's not spent a lot of money, but she's got a space and her employee has a place to go and work and call her own. 
Um, so that's kind of on the smaller side. On the bigger side, big organizations, we got, we, they've got closets. They've got, and that might sound silly. I just had two closets cleared out for teams. And uh, they, right now, the rooms look, they look kind of pitiful. But once we get some neon signs in there and some paint on the wall and we make it about what that team's about, it's going to be great. So I would I would look for that space that nobody else wants. Well, and two, I would tell you, I've seen um, – I've actually seen groups take huge dry erase boards that are movable, and they get into an open space, and they just – you know, they build their own kind of room with dry erase yes. boards and that's what they, that's where they meet each week and it becomes their space. So just because you don't have the space, don't use that as an excuse not to create one. And I do, what I sense in you're saying is everybody kind of needs a room to create. Everybody that's needs right. a place yeah. where they feel like this is where we do this really cool work together. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just, it really makes being part of the team bigger than just the work and the emails and, you know, the stuff that becomes routine. All right. So, you know, casting a vision, rallying a team around that, um, refueling that vision or fueling that vision is all great, but then you got to get some stuff done. Right. And Mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about getting stuff done. Uh, because I, you have had so many really rich examples with some of your agile training, some mm-hmm. of the methodologies that you use. How do you and what tips and tricks and hacks would you give or provide listeners to how you actually get teams to get things done? Yeah, so uh, I'm a big, big fan of agile development. Um, learned it in the digital space. I now apply it in the learning and development space of all places. So it's not just a software thing. Um, and if my favorite definition of agile that I've heard is staying successful in an ever changing environment, Mm, staying Staying successful in an ever changing environment. Wow. That's good. I think it really pulls up from, if, if you've heard about agile, you might've heard of sprints. That's typically the, the term that gets thrown around the most, but this is about staying. And that's kind of where you get. A, a, a grouping of work done over, say, a two-week period. You, a That's defined right. sprint is like two, three weeks, and you identify things that you're going to get accomplished, the to-do list, so to speak, and then you agree as a team that you're going to knock that out in a two-week segment. That's what I hear you saying. That's right. Okay. So a sprint, typically two weeks. That's kind of empirically the the best kind of time frame to do this in. The sprint, though, is just, that's just surface. That's the tip of the iceberg. What's underwater that makes that stuff work that's deeper within Agile is we focus on finishing working product. So Mm. uh, if you are working in learning development, that might mean actually figuring out how this class is going to be different. If someone is uh, working in a startup, it's how might we iterate on our product in the next two weeks. If you're working in digital, that might be getting some new screens out to the customer in, in two weeks. So the reason I bring that up is we, we try as best we can to get out of documentation and emails and PowerPoint decks and into making stuff. Mm. And at the end of that sprint, we show that stuff to people that would actually use it. Interesting. And, so for an example, if in training and development, um, you could put in the two-week sprint – it could be to have the first uh, chapter of a learning document that is going to go out to staff. And 
what I hear you saying is at, instead of a bunch of emails and keeping track of all that, your main objective is sharing that delivered product, that first chapter at the end of the sprint. That's right. And, and everybody's it's all hands on, on deck. All hands on deck. Yes. That's the goal to be able to deliver on that. Yes. And so you're not you're not going back and forth. You're like, did we get the chapter written? Is the chapter written? Like, yes. how are we getting this done? What else do we need? Who's the copywriter? Who's the editor? Okay, let's get it all done so that you can deliver that at the end of the two weeks. That's right. And, and interesting. And, and you know, I think what an agile coach would probably ask is, okay, how might we take that a step further? Is this how's this chapter going to be delivered? Is it delivered in a classroom? Okay, if it is, let's deliver five minutes in a classroom to real people. And then let's ask them, well, what'd you think? And what's scary about this is you kind of, you're showing them all your unfinished stuff. Yeah. It's messy. Like it is, you got to have thick skin because people are going to say, well, it needs to do this. And you know, it needs to do that. You just haven't had time to do it yet. Right. But you get smarter faster and you get so much more done. Well, it goes so back faster. to your definition of agile, which is this ability to stay successful stay successful in an, in an ever-changing, ever-changing environment. environment right and that was where my head was it was like what you just described is after a sprint you may decide to change based on the feedback from the customer based on the feedback from the audience you may have to take a pivot and change that and you want to stay successful in an ever-changing environment and that's the whole principle behind agile that's right that's right so if you work in this way the idea is that every couple sprints, you're learning and you're getting better. And instead of running some sort of project plan that cannot get better over time because you're just running the play, every two weeks your project plan is actually getting better. Mm. As you're designing and developing whatever you're going to launch, you're actually learning and getting better before you even launch it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna to throw a little curveball at you. Great. Um, because this is you weren't prepared to answer this, but I know you'll have an answer. Um, I actually see the benefit of agile um, working in your personal life too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've learned about this is the power of dedicated teams focused on specific outcomes. And I'm curious, have you found yourself using any of these principles personally at home? Because I think for a lot of listeners out there, these are principles of getting things done that you can actually leverage in life as well as in business. And I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. you got a big smile on your face. <laughs> so I'm assuming that you might have an example or two. I do. Um, my wife, Haley, finds Agile very interesting <laughs> uh, when I implement it in my personal life or at home. Probably the the best hack that someone could just take from this podcast and use right away is the concept of work in progress limit. Say work more. in progress okay. limit. So uh, what we kind of ascribe to as an, as an Agile principle is I'm going to say I can only do, call it two or three things at a time. I can't do 15. And so what we tend to do just – in the flow of life is we tend to always be working on 13 or 15 things compared to saying I can only work on three things at a time and I have to finish one of those three things. I have to get it done. I have to get stuff done before I reload my next three. So at home, uh, this could mean, okay, I can mow the lawn or I can fix the dishwasher. Um, I'm not the handiest guy, so I might need to mow the lawn. Maybe I need to call someone to fix the mm. dishwasher. <laughs> Maybe right, that would be right. a task for me. Um, but I, 
rather than trying to have 15 things half done, which doesn't help anybody, can I get three things completely done? That's wow. the idea. That's powerful. And the reason that's so powerful is because if you translate that back to work, one of the dynamics that we're working on even at, at Chick-fil-A is that we got a ton of people with a lot of great ideas. And if you're not careful, we'll line up 20 of those. Yeah. And so that everybody feels happy, we'll work on all 20. Yeah. But you end up only getting about 20% accomplished on those 20 things when if we'd have taken all those people and focused on one, our likelihood of success would have dramatically gone up. Now, that takes a lot of discipline because the other 19 are really, really good ideas. Yes. But if you can have the discipline to have dedicated teams really genuinely focused on your few critical big opportunities or problems, the likelihood of success dramatically goes up and you move much faster. Yes. And, and that's a principle that I've actually taken away. And I love, I love the example of at home, take your, your to-do list of 20 things and really look at the top three and then go to the next and then go to the next. And don't move until those first couple get done and then just kind of progress through your, li- your list. Same thing holds true in your personal life as well as your professional life. That's great, Kramer. Yeah, great. I mean, you, you can use that in the kitchen at home, or you can scale that to an enterprise level at a multi-billion dollar company. You know, well, it's the same principle. So I, I want to talk about this as well, because I think one of the things that I've seen you do really well is you do a lot of huddles. Um, explain what a huddle is, um, why that's important, um, how that helps a team. I, I do think listeners would be interested to know. They might not know what a huddle is, but describe it from your experiences. Yeah, well, I've, I've, uh, I'm a big fan of, in Agile, we call them stand-ups. Um, by the book, they're 15 minutes because they should be short enough to where people don't need to sit down. It's, it's in passing. And by the book, what we're asking the team is, hey, what did you get done towards our goals yesterday? What are you working on towards our goals today, and what's in your way? Now, what did you get done yesterday? What are you working towards today, and what's in your way? Yeah. Wow, that's really good. And that's what you would call stand-up. That's right. And it's 15 minutes long, um, and it sounds like you're doing that every day, right? Yes, yes. So your typical Agile team is doing that every day. Um, Now, you can modify this. You know, you can do it a lot of ways. You can have whole company stand-ups. Um, now you wouldn't facilitate it the way I just described, but the concept of people being face to face for 15 minutes and sharing information with each other, the magic that comes out of that is just phenomenal. So well, I'm even thinking, let's, let's say that you're a part of a team that's not using agile right now, but you could implement this and maybe it's not even on a daily basis, but imagine the power of doing this once a week with sure. that team that's working on whatever it is you're working on, and you're, you're talking, what did you get done last week? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to get done this week? And what's in your way in getting that done? Mm-hmm. Just that conversation with a team would open up all kinds of communication and some learnings about where our challenges and obstacles that's right. are. And wow, it, that's and really it's, good. It's rooted in trust-based leadership. you got to have trust for this to work. Um, and so if you find out that it's not working, it might be pointing to some deeper-rooted issues. But you would uncover that sooner than later. That's right. Yeah, and more of the time. That's great. Um, Any other thoughts or things that you've learned in regards to getting things done? So we've talked about huddles or stand-ups. 
translate that in maybe even into accountability. Like, how does that work? Yeah, you know, I think that goes a little bit to the trust-based leadership thing I just shared because accountability is it's it almost feels like a bad word, right? Uh, folks do not like that word, but if you have trust-based leadership and people know you care, um, then you're in a you're already in a much better place. So I would say before you hold anybody accountable to anything, uh, start throwing them pizza parties. Mm, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I'll borrow a term from a friend that I love, which is sunshining. That's just that's just a surprise and delight for somebody. Try to do that every day for somebody on your team. And if you're these are some good hacks. If you're starting to de- to deposit those sunshines every day, you don't know when that hard conversation's coming. But if they know that you're for them, that hard conversation's a lot easier. So that's one hack. The other hack about accountability, and I love this one because it flips accountability on its head. Empower your team to set their own short-term goals. So when we talk about these sprints, the team sets the goal. The boss does not set the goal. Because if you're being held accountable to what someone told you to do, well, that's, that can be frustrating. In many ways, it didn't feel like I was responsible because you set my goal. That's right. I didn't set my goal. That's right. What I hear you saying in that is that there's real power in allowing the team to set the goal. Now, the leader has to guide and direct. They still have to remind people of the vision and the outcomes that we're trying to reach. Um, they may have to lean in and go, hey, I, I think you're a little off track here. But the essence of that is allowing the team to rally around, okay, what, what are we trying to accomplish this week? What are That's we right. trying to accomplish today? And allowing them to set the goal. And therefore, if they set the goal, they'll feel more accountable to that goal because they actually set it. That's right. Absolutely. Wow. And then if you have a con- you have to have a hard conversation for missing a goal, it's a lot cleaner because it becomes a question of, hey, guys, I know you set this ambitious goal. Maybe we didn't reach it or maybe the quality wasn't there. What do you think happened? Or did we do our best work? And now the team can process that out loud as opposed to the leader telling them that they missed it. They know they missed it. Nobody needs to tell them that. But let's unpack why and let's get better next time. Well, you know, you see this a lot in I, – I, I see it sometimes in professional sports. I, I love the teams where the coach is actually talking to the other coaches and the team is sent, talking to themselves around what they need yes, to do better. Yes. And it's like the coach is thinking strategy and vision and the team is actually thinking, okay, how did we just execute on the court and what do we need to do on this next time out? Yeah. Now, the coach might bring a play in. And the team actually talks about the play and says, okay, this is, uh, do you think this is a good play? Sometimes the team will override the coach even That's or, right. or That's kind right. of push back. But oftentimes it's that in those dynamics, it's really powerful to see the team actually set the goal and then hold themselves accountable mm-hmm. to whether they hit it or not. And I bet most of those coaches have a lot of trust with those players. I bet that's the foundation. Oh, yeah, they have to. And the players have to have a tremendous amount of trust in that coach, right? Um, and so I do love what you said about you got to make sure that you as a leader, if you are fortunate enough to either facilitate or lead, you've got to create the kind of dynamic where there's trust. And you mentioned this earlier, but I think it's a little – I mean, it's a nice little hack here. Try this for just one meeting. Next time you're in a meeting, just go around the room and ask everybody what their high school nickname was. Yes. It's awesome. It's a great Because one. people have a great time talking about it, and it starts to build relationship. And when you build relationships, that's where trust is formed, and therefore then you can get on to the bigger things of accountability and goal setting and those type of things. 
Yeah, trust yeah. trust will bring you further faster, no doubt. So as uh, kind of some closing thoughts here, um, as you think about listeners out there and they're, they just got introduced to some new work. They're like, okay, you're going to be on this team. You're going yeah. to be a part of a team that's trying to get some work done or a specific project. What advice would you give them um, as they kind of enter into this new place with a new team? Any kind of couple thoughts from you on what's the best way to show up that first mm-hmm. couple days? I think the first thing you have to do, no matter, especially if you're in a position of leadership, you got to surrender your title. You got to lay that down right away. Um, Take the name tag off. Yes. And set it down. That's good. Yes. You got to build that trust. Um, I would encourage you. you the work's going to get done, but how are you taking care of the people? How are you showing up, whether it's handwritten notes or texts or my, my wife, Haley, and I, we, we have a helium tank in our house now because we, we bring that many balloons places. Um, how are you showing up in a way that shows them you care? And, you know, I would almost say for that first week, yes, work on your vision, your mantra, get the work started. But for that, that first week, your goal should be making sure that you engage every person on that team in a way that you sh- shows that you care for them personally. That's what I would have on Powerful. my personal Powerful. my personal to-do list. I tell you, if um, and hopefully you're, you're jotting this down or if you're driving, you know, be sure to go to the show notes. We'll have all of them in there. But I think that one takeaway was huge. I mean, honestly, I think how you show up personally and how you care for people personally creates the kind of dynamics in a relationship that allow you to get really big things done and have fun doing it. And so um, I want to say thank you for staying fun and scrappy. Yes, I really appreciate that right. today. You were moving and flying around here and talking a lot about a, a lot of different things and different opportunities and really, really good tips and tricks for all of us. So, Kramer, I want to say thanks, and uh, thanks for being a listener out there. Again, as a reminder, um, we, we do this because there's often a gap between where you are and where you want to be. And hopefully through some of these conversations, it helps you along this journey because all of us are trying to be difference makers in life. And uh, that's what we're trying to do at Launch University. So as always, we'll see you the next time at Launch University. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.